Good morning, everyone. I am Pastor David. It is my privilege to bring a message from God's Word to you this morning during the Advent season. But before I begin that, I kind of wondered how many of you might be kind of distracted by the news that we heard last week in our communities. Uncertainties abound as Dow Chemical merges with DuPont and takes full ownership of Dow Corning Corporation. I want you to know that I have been praying for many of you over the past few days. And uh, in times such as these, it is good to be reminded of God's faithfulness to his people. So what I thought I would do is to pause here for a moment and let's bow our heads and I want to read a scripture to you and hear it, listen to it, bring anything that you want to bring before God and then I will close thanking God for his faithfulness. So let's bow our heads. Jesus said these words. Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Know about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Father, we acknowledge this morning, in spite of our worries and anxieties and fears, you are in charge, you are still sitting on the throne. And Father, you are faithful to provide for us. And Father, help us to focus on you, help us to lift our eyes and see you and acknowledge that you are in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Father, this world is filled with all kinds of bad news. 
from hunger and famine to wars and earthquakes and death. And Father, through all of it, you are orchestrating the events in the world such that that humanity restored will be restored from glory to glory. You are our hope. You are our redeemer. You are our rock. You are our strength. And we have no place else to go. So I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in this church, who are in our communities, and fill their hearts and minds with your peace, with your joy. And we commit ourselves and invite your presence into this worship service. And pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Also, thank you for responding to Pastor Jeff's admonition last week. He admonished all of us. Nearly 300 people or perhaps even 300 households, some of you may have taken the reveal survey as husband and wife, took this particular survey. And so that's the, in fact, it turns out 300 is what we were targeting. And we were very close to that. And we are expecting the results to be here sometime during the holidays. And the elder board and the pastoral team will work on it and present the results to you uh, sometime in January. If that's not possible, definitely by early February. So just stay tuned for that. But thank you because that survey does help us uh, in in our planning uh, for ministries for years to come. Now, as you know, we are in the middle of a sermon series called From Glory to Glory. In Psalm 8, verse 1, this is what we read. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. You may notice on the screen that I have highlighted the word glory. This glory refers to God's glory. The glory of God. Using Exodus chapter 33 and 34, Pastor Jeremy showed us last week that God's glory refers to his name, his reputation, and his character. For example, in Exodus chapter 3, chapter 33, verse 18, Moses said to God, Please show me your glory. And God, in Exodus 34, actually granted this request. And this is what we read. Then Lord, now every time in the Old Testament, in our translation, if you see the word Lord that is capitalized, it means Yahweh. The God of Israel, the covenant-keeping God, it's Yahweh. So the Lord, or Yahweh, descended in the cloud and stood with him, meaning Moses there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children 
to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. God's glory, which is his name, his reputation, his character, and even his presence, God was present in the cloud. It's a big deal. The only appropriate response is worship. That's what Moses did. He quickly bowed down and worshipped him. But then something interesting happens in verse 5 of the same psalm, Psalm 8. And here we read, you, referring to God, have made him, that is man or human beings, a little lower than the heavenly beings, referring to angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. Again, notice that I have highlighted the word glory. That is, human beings also have glory. The glory God has given to us. It is referred to as the glory from God to us. In contrast to the previous one, which was glory of God. In other words, the life of human beings with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, began with being crowned with glory from God. Adam and Eve were people of great reputation, great name, and great character. Because God had imprinted those in them. However, that glory from God was lost in the Garden of Eden. And that's what I want to address in the sermon this morning. So if you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And the sermon is titled, Fall, We Walked Away. And if you're using the blue Bible of the church, it's found on page 3. Genesis chapter 3 on page 3. Now, last time I was up here preaching, I taught you a method on how to study the stories of the Bible. These are true stories, not fiction, which are referred to as narrative passages of Scripture. I said to you that we ask six questions. Five of those questions begin with the word W, letter W, and one begins with the letter H. We ask questions like what, when, where, who, why, and how. And we ask these questions not in any particular order. In fact, most of the time, you ask them simultaneously. And so when I study these kinds of narrative passages, I would have six pages in front of me, each title, what and when, where, who, why, and how. And I would take notes as I study the story and write them down and takeaways and all of those. And as I do that, usually the main message of the story rises. And then I put them in a logical order so that I could teach or preach. This morning, I want to teach you a second method. I told you last time I used actually four different methods to study stories of the Bible. And I want to teach you a second method that I use. So up on the screen, you would see 
what is called a monomythic cycle. Every good story has a plot. And the development of this plot and its resolution usually go through these five stages. I'm going to use a laser pointer here uh, on, on this side, on the left-hand side here. These are the five stages. Summer one, fall, winter, spring, that's four rare. And then there's another one right here, summer two. Let me explain what those are here. Now, the summer refers to a typical day in a person's life. So if you are rejoicing, if you are happy, it's a happy day. It's a happy, happy day. It's kind of your routine. For example, when I get, early in the mo- get up early in the morning and start driving to church, the car automatically gets to church. Sometimes I sit to catch myself, oh no, I should be going to a doctor's appointment. And it's as if the car is automatically programmed in that fashion. That's summer one. Now, fall contains events that gradually move the story away from that routine. So if you're reading a book, like the Bible, or a fiction, or observing a movie... What happens is, as things move away from this routine, this happy life, and away from it, tension rises. And eventually there's a fall. And sometimes, you know, you, if you're, if, again, you're reading, a, reading, reading a book or a fiction or a movie or something like that, you might find yourself saying, oh no, oh no, oh no. That's tension rising. And once the fall happens, then what happens is there's a period of winter. In other words, it gets even worse. So winter contains events that cause the story to descend even further. It is a stage of great despair. Life is bleak and unbearable when you are in winter. And we don't have to say that to people here in Michigan, do we? It is the apex of bad news. So again, if you, are observe, if you are reading a fiction book or a story in the Bible or watching a movie or something like that, you say, oh my, I cannot take it anymore. In fact, believe it or not, we were watching a movie. Our oldest daughter, Adina, was a small one, and she just got out of the theater and ran away. But here's the interesting thing. The winter ends... With a surprising twist. A completely unexpected development that turns the story around. From that point on, circumstances in the story begin to improve. And here's the most important thing that you need to know. And the surprising twist is the key to the story. The main message of the story lies at that surprising twist. I'm going to show that to you today. And then comes the spring. The terrible agony of the fall and winter are gone. The unexpected twist has broken the winter's back. While things are not yet perfect, there's hope because the summer is just around the corner. 
And then summer too refers to the arrival of a new normal. In other words, life began in one way. Because of the fall and because of the winter, life has changed. It will never be the same again. And therefore it gets back to a different routine, which is referred to as summer too. So those are the five stages. If you put, put back that slide again uh, on, on the screen, that would be great if you're able to do that. And here are two, two things that I want you to focus on in, on this particular uh, uh, monomythic cycle. First, in good stories, the fall and winter last the longest. And you will see that in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, the 20 of 24 verses are focused on the fall and winter. It is very intentional because, you know, it is done in order to create this tension. Causing readers to be drawn into the story. On the contrary, the spring does not last long because when the plot is resolved, quickly finish the story. Second, as I told you this, look for the surprising twist at the winter. And that's the one that moves the story into the spring. And that's where the main message of the story lies. So the monomythic cycle can be used, actually, if you are reading a book together with your children. Or if you are watching a movie with your children. You can always come back and have a discussion with your kids. How to study it, how to analyze it, and what's the main message. Because there's so much noise, but the main message lies at the surprising twist. Do you all get this? Now let's dive into the story. Now here is how the story begins. When Adam and Eve woke up that morning, the morning of Genesis chapter 3, they were still in the Garden of Eden. It was a well-watered, fertile land with all kinds of trees producing good fruit for them to eat. Further, Adam and Eve had each other and they had their God with them. And they were in full compliance to God's command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they had not sinned. And we can read all about it in chapter 2, which I won't get, uh, read it today. But all of that is described. God created Adam and Adam, put him in the garden. And the garden is described with four reverse passages. Jeremy took us through all of that with pictures. And then he created Adam. And, they, and he told them that you can eat from any tree but one. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. So when they woke up, on that morning of Genesis chapter 3, everything was fantastic. And that's summer 1. Now one of the things that we do not know in the story is the, the time that elapsed between chapter 2 and chapter 3. We don't know that. It may have been a day. It may have been years. It's, it may have been tens of twenties years. We don't know that. But nevertheless, Adam and Eve got into this particular routine, being in the garden, not sinning, and, and, and walking with God, 
life is good. But on that morning of Genesis chapter 3, a serpent appeared. As we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now in that sentence itself, there's a lot in there. But let me give you a few pointers. Today, because of what's written in the New Testament, we know for certain that it was Satan or the devil who was behind the serpent's activity. But at the time, of the, time the book of Genesis was written, the author and his original authors viewed the serpent simply as a snake. That's why, you know, we see the picture of a snake in many of our Sunday school lessons, particularly children's lessons. Furthermore, in the Old Testament, snakes are listed among unclean animals. They are enemies of God and cannot be offered in sacrifices to God. And you will find that in, for example, Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. So Eve is here and she sees the snake or the serpent. The fact that it was an unclean animal, the fact that it was an enemy of God would have raised red flags for Eve. But he didn't consider it. And so imagine that you're watching this movie unfold and you're saying to myself, Eve, Eve, that's an unclean animal. That's an enemy of God. Don't listen. Don't listen. And tension tension rises in 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 your mind. The heart begins to beat. What is Eve going to do? But then there were other red flags as well. For example, notice there, if you read Genesis chapters 2 and 3, God is addressed as Lord God. L-O-R-D, capital, all of them capital, and God. That is Yahweh, God. The Hebrew word there is Elohim. But go back to verse 1 and see how the serpent Addresses God. It says, did God actually say? But just the prayer sentence, you will see there. Now a serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, this combination of Lord God is used 20 times. Only one other time in the entire New Testament. This suggests that the serpent was distant from God. He is some kind of a remote creator out there, not a covenant-keeping Yahweh. Now that should have raised a red flag 
for Eve. But here again, she misses it. So if you are a Jew living at the time, you would say, Eve, Eve, notice that, that he's calling him God, not Lord God, not Yahweh Elohim. But she misses it. And that raises more tension. So you and I are drawn into the story of what is going on. And then the serpent misquotes God. For example, what is he saying? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Now up on the slide you will see I put what exactly God said in chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 and then what the serpent said in in chapter 3 verse 1 and you will see I have highlighted. God said you may surely eat of every tree but one. But Satan says you shall not eat of any tree. And so if you are watching this movie unfold, you are saying to myself, you are kind of pulling your hair out and saying, Eve, Eve, what? Don't do it. Don't do it. Tension builds, and you are drawn into the story. The fall hasn't happened yet. It's just a dialogue. And you're hoping against hope that Eve would not fall. But then, verses 2 and 3 in Genesis chapter 3. Eve says this. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Notice two things here. Up until this point, Adam and Eve were calling this God, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Notice what she does here. She uses the same terminology that the Satan had used. So if Satan was distant from God because he used, he dropped the covenant word and simply God called God God and not Lord God or Yahweh Elohim and we said Satan has a distance from God and here it is. It begins to crack and Eve is showing some kind of a distance from God. Furthermore, She exaggerates, misquotes what God actually said. God never said that you shall not touch it. God never did. And so at this point, if you are watching this movie unfold, you are saying to myself, oh my goodness. This is not going well. 
there are all kinds of red flags. And then in verse 6, we read this. Chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit. Again, remember, imagine this. You're watching from the outside and watching this movie, and Eve has a fruit in her hand, and you're saying to yourself, Eve, don't do it. Don't do it. This is all a lie. And it says, and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloth. At that point, if you are watching this movie, your heart sinks. The fall had actually taken place because of lies, because of doubt, misquoting God's word, not trusting, doing what is pleasing to the eye, doing what the stomach wants, and trying to gain wisdom, knowledge, which is power. Now let's bring it down to our situations today. I'm going to put two names out there. These are made-up names, not real ones. Imagine Jack, who grew up in a Christian home. Parents were devout Christians. Model Christians for others to look up to and follow them at church and in community. And because of their love and guidance, Jack graduated from high school as a valedictorian. Then he went to college. Happened to go to a party with his friends. It turned out his friends were experimenting drugs. And just like this, watch the movie just standing over here. And, and if, you, if you saw Jack, you will say to Jack, Jack, don't do it. A friend comes along and says, Jack, if this is just nothing, just one time. And he said to Jack, Jack, don't do it. This is bad stuff. And Jack puts his hands out and gets a little bit of a pop. And he said to yourself, Jack, don't do it. You love God. You know you grew up in a church. You learned all of these things. Don't do it. But Jack says to himself, you know what? It's just one time.
check had fallen. Let's talk about Jill. She also grew up in a Christian home. She also graduated as a valedictorian from high school. In one of her weakest moments at college, she ended up having sex with the young man for the very first time. That's what has happened to Adam and Eve up to this point. But it gets even worse. Look with me to verses 8 through 20. You know this God, the Lord God, the Yahweh Elohim, the covenant-keeping creator God comes calling. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the, fr- of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who gave, you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it in all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. And for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. You know, if only Adam and Eve recognized that they are naked, no big deal. But you know what happens here? They had made God angry so much so that he pronounced judgment on them. That's the apex of bad news. 
All of a sudden, Adam and Eve who are communing with God, they have been separated from God. That was bleak. It is a state of angst and despair. Now let's go back to Jack and Jill that we talked about. You know, in the fall, Jack experimented drugs only once. But regardless of how hard he tried, he could not shake off that addiction that was created in the fall. Soon he, begins to, he began to fail classes and eventually drops out of college. Currently unemployed and homeless, sitting under a bridge, begging for food. That's winter. Jill, whose one-night stand led to her becoming pregnant. And in order to hide her pregnancy from her loving parents, she walked over to Planned Parenthood and had an abortion. And she has been living with that guilt ever since. In fact, Jack and Jill might be even at church today. That's winter. That's what happened to Adam and Eve when God became so angry that he pronounced judgment on them. Is there any hope for Jack and Jill? Was there any hope for Adam and Eve? But here comes the twist in the story. Now we are in the winter and here comes the twist. I find that in verses 21 through 24. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You see, here is God who was angry. He has pronounced judgment. There's a separation between Adam and Eve and God And God in his compassion and mercy and love gives them, makes them clothes to cover their nakedness. That's hope. Then in verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowledge and good and evil. Now lest he reach out the sand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent them out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. That too, by the way, driving out, chasing them out of the garden also was a compassionate act. You know why? Because had Adam and Eve in their fallen state, in their sinful state, he had eaten the tree of life, they would have had immortality and they would have lived forever in that fallen state. God had a different plan to redeem, redeem, redeem humanity 
back to himself. And therefore, he chased them out and protected the tree of life. And then summer too is a new normal for Adam and Eve. They began to live outside of the garden of Eden. It's a new normal. It's a new routine. And therefore called summer too. So here's the message that flows from this surprising twist. In the story that we just finished reading from Genesis chapter 3. And you will see this up on the screen. God is gracious and compassionate toward us. Even in the midst of our sins, our addictions, guilt and shame, doubts and disobedience, fears, worries, anxiety, all of this, all of this, Adam and Eve went through it, by the way. They doubted God's word. And they disobeyed God. And they were fearful because God was going to see their nakedness. They were guilty and they were shamed. And they feared God. They were anxious and worried what God would do. All kinds of things. Now as a result of that, Jack has the hope of being set free from his addiction. Jill has the hope of being set free from her guilt of having that abortion. And you and I have the hope of being set free from our sins of all kinds. We began this sermon this morning by expressing our worries and anxieties about Dow Chemical merging with DuPont and taking full ownership of Dow Corning. But you know what? This gracious and compassionate God is faithful to set us free from these also. Therefore, during this Christmas season, I want to invite you to respond to this gracious and compassionate God. If you are in sin, turn to Him for forgiveness of your sins. If you are worried and anxious, turn to Him for peace and hope regarding your future. The Bible says this in chapter, Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, no angels nor rulers, no things present, no things to come, no powers, no height, no depth, no anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now in case you are asking how to respond to this compassionate and gracious God, and here it is, in Romans chapter 10. If we confess 
with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In in case you're asking, when can I do that? The Bible says, today is the day. In Hebrews we read this, the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God is gracious and compassionate toward us. Even in the midst of our sins and addictions and guilt and shame, doubts and disobedience, fears, worries and anxieties. Turn to him. Turn to him during this Christmas season. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. You are gracious and compassionate and steadfast in love. Thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us, Lord. Bearing all our sins and from that day on... You have separated our sins as far away from us as possible. As far as the east is from the west. And Father, as we reflect on your son's coming, help us to turn to you. And Father, as we bring our tithes and offering, we also pray that you will help us to give you joyfully sacrificially, generously, because you have been so generous to us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.